Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. Here's Pastor Robert Manessis. Well, what I want to do is, before I get to Romans chapter 8 and this question that Paul brings to the people, God's people, I want to see a very similar parallel of that principle in the Old Testament and then really hit it home in Romans 8. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Acts. Take a look at this. Before we go to the Old Testament, I know that Acts is not the Old Testament. (laughs) Before we go to the Old Testament, go to the book of Acts first. Look what we see here. Acts. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Does anybody know who wrote the book of Acts? Luke wrote it. Okay, Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, wrote the book of Acts. Okay, now in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 22, Luke, who was a historian, is quoting here from the Old Testament. And look what he says in Acts chapter, what did I say, 13, verse 22. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, and it says, And when he had removed him, he raised up for them, what was the king's name? King David. Anybody here ever heard of King David before? Yeah, great King David. He continues, to whom also he, God, gave testimony and said, and now he's quoting from the Old Testament here, from the um, book of Psalms and, and, and also First Samuel, he says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. I mean, what, what an encouragement. Now, if you know King David, you would know that he had issues. <laughs> yes, King David had issues, but there was something found there in his heart that God could say, man, there's something there that reveals my heart. Now, what he just said about King David should all give us hope because we all have issues. This side agrees. Amen. I heard nothing but amen here. This was silent here. Okay. We all have issues. Okay. If you don't think I have issues, talk to my wife. She'll say he has issues. But let's not ask her. Don't do that. But this should give us great hope, amen? If God can say about King David that this man had a heart after my own, then we all have hope. Can you say amen? But let's, I know there are many things we can glean from here, but let's look at one aspect of David's heart that we can then apply for what Paul said in Romans. Go to 1 Samuel. Let's take a look at this. Go to 1 Samuel. Let's first see just a, a glimpse of what we see here in regards to what in David's heart can gleam from God's heart and we can apply to us and what Paul was saying in Romans. So go to the book of 2 Samuel. I misspoke there. 2 Samuel, okay? And if you don't know where 2 Samuel is, it's after 1 Samuel. Does that help? 2 Samuel is in the Old Testament. Obviously, hopefully you know that. And it's after the book of Judges. Before you come to the Kings and the Chronicles, you come to the Samuel. 2 Samuel, 
And we're going to go to chapter 15, but before I read chapter 15, let's get the context here, okay? So 2 Samuel chapter 15, say amen if you get there. But the context in chapter 13 is this. Now, there was a lot of issues, again, in David's family. He did not handle very well some of the issues found in his children. No, we're not going to get into that, but... In chapter 13, now we're not going to read, I'm just going to give you the context here. In chapter 13 of 2 Samuel, it begins the story that Absalom, which was one of King David's sons, kills his brother Amnon, which was, of course, obviously if it was Absalom's son, it was one of King David's other sons, because Amnon raped his sister. I told you there were issues. So Amnon, one of King David's sons, Absalom's brother, rapes his sister Tamar. And then in chapter 13, it continues that Absalom, after he killed his brother Amnon, fled to Geshur and stayed away for three years. Got, got the story right? A lot of problems here. Uh, again, Absalom, King David's son, kills his other son, who is his brother, Amnon, because Amnon um, raped his own sister. Sin is a problem. And then Absalom fled. Are you with me? Okay. We now come to chapter 14. And in that chapter, Absalom returns to Jerusalem, but does not see his father, David, for many years. Got, you got the context? Okay, we're now in chapter 15, and let's begin to see what else Absalom begins doing. Absalom began to be a judge among the people when people went to see the king for counsel and to make judicial decisions. Absalom would intervene before they got to the king. Look at verse 6. Chapter 15, verse 6, the Bible says, in this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. Now, who was the king at that time? King David. And the kings gave the judgments. They would come to the king, and he would give judicial, judicial decisions. But just picture it in your mind's eye that Absalom begins to park himself there in the, in, in the, in the, the gates area, and when people began to come in, he would begin to hear that, I'm here to see the king. I have some manner that he needs to make a decision on. And Absalom would be like, you know, I'm the, I'm the king's son. You don't, the king is extremely busy. You don't have to see, see the king. I can help you. And he'd begin to lead people with him and begin to give them counsel instead. Are you with me? Okay. We're going to see here that he had a purpose for this. So verse 6, in this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for a judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So what was the motive behind Absalom's acting here? What was he trying to do? He was trying to gain the hearts of who? The people, right? He was trying to gain the, gain the hearts of the people because he had a plan he wanted to do. You with me so far? Okay. So Absalom is there, and he's stealing the hearts of the people by giving them the count that the king was supposed to give. We, count, we come now to verse 10 through 12. Let's see what else is happening here. We're in 2 Samuel 15. It then says, Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, 
As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And when Absalom went two hundred uh, went when and with Absalom went two hundred men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then verse twelve says, Then Absalom sent for Athophel, the uh, Galonite, David's counselor from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Not only was Absalom trying now to gain the heart of the people, now we know why, because he wanted to overthrow his father as king. Is this something good brewing, yes or no? Not very good, right? He wants to overthrow the king. He wants to take down his dad. Now, here's the thing. It, I'm sure that uh, you should know in those days, if you want to take down the king, you don't call them and say, hey, I know that you're king. Can I take your place? If you wanted to take the king, what did that mean to the king? You wanted him dead. Okay, let's take a look at that. Look what Absalom is doing here. I'll get to my point here in a minute. Go to chapter 15. Look at verses 13 and 14. We're looking at something in David's heart that resembles God's heart. But you have to understand the story, what's happening. Now, the mess, a messenger came to who? To David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with who? Who's Absalom? His son. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, and let us do what? Yet let's get out of here, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the what? What did Absalom want to do with his father? He wanted to, he wanted to kill him and overtake him as king. So listen. A battle between those who followed Absalom and those who remained loyal to King David ensued, and at the end of it, Absalom was killed. Okay, just fast-forwarding the story. Here was two groups now, and they were going in battle. Long story short here is that Absalom was killed. David's son, who deceived the people stole the people unto himself, wanted to overthrow his father as king, and he wanted to kill his father. And through this battle here to do this, he was killed. Are you with me so far? And the word gets back to King David. And let's see how David reacts. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 18 now. Go to chapter 18. The word gets back to the father. That his son was dead. His son who, who sinned against him. His son that rebelled against his father. Chapter 18, verse 33, the Bible says. I think it's raining. Verse 33 says, Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate. And what did he do? He wept. And as he went, he said this, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. 
Now, th- th- this is, here is David, and he hears that his son had sinned against him, rebelled against him, and wanted to kill him and do away with him. And when he heard the story, he said, oh, my son, my son. He wept over his son. He had compassion over his son. And he said, if only I could have taken your place and died in your place. The heart of David. Do we see something here in this story that might resemble the heart of our Heavenly Father over His children that sinned against Him? Yes or no? We can. We can. Look at the screen here. Though Absalom rebelled against his father and wanted to overtake his throne and even kill him, David never stopped loving his son. It's going to be key for us. I got some good news for you today. In other words, Absalom's sins against his father never separated his father's love toward him. Do you get what I just said there? Now, there are consequences to sin, and the consequences happen. Are you with me? But listen, but though Absalom had sinned against his father, listen, The love of the father towards his son never diminished. He loved his son just as much. Are you with me? Are you with me? Here's my verse. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. The reality is, is that our sins, when our sins, when we sin against our Heavenly Father, it separates us from Him. But here's my thesis. Sin has separated us from God, but God has not separated His love towards us. It's my thesis. We're going to get to Paul's question and his, um, and his uh, workings in Romans 8. But what we see here in, the, in, in, in David's uh, realm here is that though his son sinned against him, his love towards his son who sinned against him never diminished. Can you say amen? That's my thesis. And with that in mind... This is Paul's thesis as well. Go to Romans 5. I want to encourage you today that we serve a God who is beyond comprehension because his love surpasses anything we can understand. Amen. That's why the spirit of prophecy says that for all eternity we're going to be studying the love of God. Romans. Who wrote the book of Romans? Paul, and Paul here says in Romans chapter 5, look at verse 31. I'm sorry, verse 5, verse 8. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Let's see who can beat me there. Okay, I was there first. It's okay. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Look Look what Paul says here. He says, but God... But God demonstrates his own love toward us, look at this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
What is that saying? That though we were still in rebellion towards God, His love for us never diminished, not one bit. Can you say amen? That while we were still sinners, Paul says, that God demonstrates His love towards us. He didn't wait till, hey, when, when, when they get it right, when they begin to act appropriately, then I'm going to come and begin. No, no, no. He says, even in their rebellion, I love them so much that I'm going to come and die for them. And you can't love people more and give people more than your own life. Do you see the principle here? Yes? Go to chapter 8 now. Take a look at this. Look at what Paul is saying. He's trying to uplift those in Rome because let me ask you a question. If you were a Christian in pagan Rome and you chose to follow the true God, was your life in danger? Yes or no? Yeah. In those days, we talked about it earlier in our study, in those days, if you chose to be a Christian, you were choosing to put your life in peril. Today, you choose to be a Christian, I don't know, praise the Lord, we don't. It was so easy. It was so easy that they would say this. Every Roman citizen needs to give honor to the Caesars and to the gods. So all you have to do is come, drop just a little bit of incense there on the altar, and we, you then are free to go. But God's people in those days chose not even to do that, to be loyal to God. Can you say amen? So guess what? Listen. If you were a Christian in Rome, and if you chose to follow God with all your heart, soul, and mind and be obedient to his word, you were in danger of persecutions, of nakedness, of perils, of disaster. Are you with me so far? And I don't care who you are. When you are in situations like persecutions and distresses, and you're suffering, and you're going through situations so severe, we all, we all, we all um, uh, can fall into this, that we begin to believe that God has stopped loving us. That's true. And I can almost guarantee that each and every one of us has been in those situations, that we are tempted to believe that if all these things are happening, we are tempted to believe that either God has stopped loving us or he is not loving us as much as he loves somebody else who's not going through these difficulties. And Paul was trying to let God's people know that no matter what you're going to go through, God's love has not diminished one bit. Let's take a look at that. We're in Romans chapter 8, look at verse 31. He's trying to encourage God's people. Now, last time I checked, life is difficult. Maybe that's just for me then. Is life difficult? Do we need encouragement and reminders in regards to God and his love for us and him never leaving us? Because it's easy when it's a walk in the park days, but when really things are happening, we begin to waver. Are you with me? And Paul's like, oh, hold on now. Stay with me. Stay with me. Romans chapter 8, now verse 31. Look what Paul says. Paul then continues. He says, what then shall we say to these things? Look at this. If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? Now, here's my question. How does Paul know without a doubt, how can Paul be so certain that God is for us? Listen, because he has shown himself to be for us. And he brings that out in the previous verses of that chapter. Look at the screen here. In Romans 8.15, he says that if God is for us, how can, how can Paul be so certain that God has shown himself to be for us? In Romans 8.15, Paul says, by adopting us. In Romans 8.16-17, by granting us his spirit, which Ellen White says is the greatest gift God could have bestowed upon man. Can you say amen? How can he be so certain? Because God has shown himself to be for us and not against us. Can you say amen? By adopting us, by giving us his spirit. And then he says in verse uh, 29 through 30, and by his gracious purpose to save us. God has shown himself to be for us. That's why he can be so certain. If God is for us, who can be against us? He unpacks this more. Verse 32. You have to know that God is for you and not against you, that God has shown himself to be for you. Amen. Verse 32, look at Paul continues to unpack his thesis here. Verse 32, who, he, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us. What is he saying? That he's, he's still unpacking it. God has shown himself to be for you. Amen. Are you with me? He keeps going. He keeps going. Um, who he not spare his own son, but delivered it for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore also has risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for Woo! God. Not only did he send his son for us and adopt us and give us the spirit and save us, he not only has done that, he also rose for us, and now he's our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary interceding for us, Everything is for us. God is for us. And therefore, Paul can be certain that God is for us. Are you with me? If God is for us, he says, how can you be so, 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 so sure, Paul? He gives us all the evidences. Therefore, if we know that God is for us, who can be against us? He continues. We are now in verse 35. And now it gets interesting. Therefore, he gives us the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, look what he says. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, going hungry, or nakedness or peril or sword? Look at his question. What did we say? He knew that the church members would be suffering serious persecution, serious onslaught, and he says, now that I've proved to you that God is for you and not against you. Guess what? When you go through persecution, when you go through nakedness, when you go through perils, when you go through famines, know this, that God's love has not diminished one bit. He loves you still the same. Do you see what he's saying here? Powerful. Look at verse 37. Yet in all these things, 
We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And the Greek, therefore, loved us is a continuous tense. In other words, he has never stopped and never will stop loving us. Continues. For I am persuaded, Paul says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, these are fallen angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ, love of God, who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I'm persuaded that, guess what? Even if you die in Christ, he still loves you the same. What are you saying? Even when you go through all these hardships, we are tempted to believe that because I'm going through this and you're not, maybe God loves me less or loves you more or God has stopped loving me because what? Did you know that if when we sin, we feel separate from God, yes or no? That's us and our sin, right? Adam and Eve ran from God. After, right? When we sin against God, we feel, we feel that God is distant. We feel that God is separate. We begin to maybe get tempted by the Satan that maybe God has stopped loving me because I've sinned. But Paul wants God's people to know that God's love does not diminish one iota for his people. Though sin has separated us from God, God's love has not been separated from his people. Are you with me so far? Yes? You see, no matter what you're going, is, what, no matter what is going on in your life, tribulation, famine, etc., God's love is still as strong as it's always been. God's love has not been separated from you. It hasn't gotten weaker. God's love is unconditional. Amen. Years ago, my parents, and of course I was younger, we got into some serious financial issues. And it came to a point where we were homeless. That's a hard place to be. And there was a lot of things going on and wavering on God's love for us. How can you allow this to happen? Boom, boom, this, this, this. We're trying to serve you and this happens. Anybody can relate maybe? To some, th th things happen. But looking back at it now, though we came into these financial issues, I can now look back and say that God never stopped loving us though we got to that point. Can you say amen? He hadn't stopped loving us. He hadn't forsaken us. He hadn't turned his back on us. He was still there. There was once a time in my life, I think I mentioned this, that after I, be, I came back to God, I wanted to find a spouse. And I was hanging out with the young people there in the church, and uh, 
we were all together, and that's why just, we were just having, and then this, this young lady just came and began to come to our church, and I thought, oh, God has brought her to me. <laughs> because I, I'm now back serving God, I'm back in the church, I'm involved again, and I've been looking for a spouse, you know, I was like in my, in my mid-twenties, and, um, and because I've been sort of looking for a, a nice Christian spouse, and she came to now to this church out of nowhere, I thought to myself, oh, certain, I am 100% positive that God has brought her to me. This is meant to be. Now, my wife is sitting right here in the front, second pew, for those who know her, there she is. My wife's name is Elida. But the girl that came to the church at the time her name is not Elida. So you know where this is going to go. <laughs> so I was convinced that this was the woman that God had brought, and um, uh, we were, everything was, the stars were lining up. Well, one day I sort of began to get courage, and I'm going I'm to open my heart to her and say, I know God has brought us together. And she didn't say it this way, but this is the way I heard right? He didn't say it, but she said, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> she didn't say it like that, but that's sort of what you hear in those issues, right? You're like, yeah, right, you know, that's not the case. I'm not interested. And just at that moment in my life, sort of coming back to God, thinking that God is blessing me and all this, this was like the worst news I could have heard. Like, it devastated me. Truly, just like, boom, I'm out. And one morning, I'm in my room, and I'm just like completely devastated, questioning God's love for me. You know, does God even there? Is this all just a big joke and all this stuff? What you begin to reason in your mind when you're in those times? Miraculously, I tell you not, I was reading to the book of Psalms and I came across this verse that changed my life. Do you want to see what it was? Go to Psalm 34. I came across this verse in Psalm 34. Let's see who can beat me to Psalm 34. I'm not going to tell you the verse so I can win though. So, okay, okay, hold on. Hold on now. Psalm 34. And I'm there in my room, just devastated, questioning everything. And God brought this verse to me. Take a listen. Psalm 34. Look at verse 18. Look at this. And God told me that morning, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Can you say amen? It's like God spoke to me. Now, obviously not, but he did speak to me, did he not, through his word. It was like, though I'm reading it in my mind, because I didn't read it out loud, but it, it felt like an audible voice. God tells me this in his word. He says, Robert, let me tell you something. I'm near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. And I'm just weeping there. Satan was trying to make me doubt God, make, make 
God, make me doubt God's love. Now look at this. Looking back, I have my beautiful wife here, my two wonderful kids. I'm so thankful that God did not work that out. I paid her to say that one. No, I didn't, I didn't. In the moments of hardships, we begin to, we can't see what God's, and Paul says, let me tell you something. Let me tell the church something. When you're going through all these difficulties, don't ever let Satan bring this down to your mind that God is loving, God's love never wavers. It's always the same. In the good times, in the bad times, whatever it might be, God has not stopped loving you less or loves him more. Can you say amen? In the spirit of prophecy, look what she says here. Beautiful. Couldn't say it any better. Acts of the Apostles, page 552. Look at this. In the courts above, Christ is pleading for his church. Can you say amen? <laughs> pleading for those for whom he has paid the redemption price for, uh, uh, of his blood. Centuries, ages, can never lessen the efficacy of his atoning sacrifice. Amen. Look at this. Neither life nor death Height nor depth can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Not because we hold him so firmly, I love this sentence, but because he holds us so fast. Amen. If our salvation depended on our own efforts, we could never be saved. Isn't that true? Absolutely it is. But it, de but it depends on the one who is behind all promises. This is the God. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Our grasp on him may seem feeble, but his love is that of an elder brother so long as we maintain our union with him no one, no one, no one can pluck us out of his hand. Can you say amen again? But now, as we begin to close, I have something very, 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 one more very, very fascinating. Go back to Romans 8. Look what Paul does here as we begin to close. Romans 8. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, the question that's rendered here again, Romans 8, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And we've learned that nothing can. Can you say amen? Nothing can separate God's love for us. And the church said, but in the English, you don't know what this next point is because, again, this is the, the knowing the original, now I'm not a scholar, but 
uh, I know a little, and I begin to look in, 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 in places that people who know it, and listen carefully, in the Greek, this question is rendered in two ways. How many ways? Two. The first one is what we just learned, that there is nothing, that when the question, who shall separate uh, God's love for us? The answer is nothing can. Can you say amen? But now look at the screen. Did you know that the question in Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, can be rendered in two ways in the Greek according to many commentaries? Now look at this. That once we know that God is for us, and when we see, that his, and when we see his love for us, which he has shown us, and that nothing can separate us from his love, the question is asked, what can separate us from loving God? Or who or what shall cause us to cease to love the Savior? Do you see what Paul is doing here? He renders it like this. Now that we see that nothing can separate God's love for us, look at this. He then asked the church a question. Guess what? Charlie, if you go through persecution and you go through famines, does that mean you're going to love God any less? Hmm. Go back to Romans. Look at this now. So in verse 35, in verse 35 again, now I'm rendering it the second way that Paul has it. In other words, he says, who shall separate us from loving Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or swords? Go to verse 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things that present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from loving God which is in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is this. If Satan brings all these things into your life, are you going to stop loving God any less? Look what he's saying. Paul is saying this. Look at this. It's on the screen. I have this for you. Look what Paul is saying. Paul says, nothing can separate my love for God. I don't care what Satan brings. He might bring in my life persecution. I'm not going to love God any less. Can you say amen? He might bring it in my life where I have to face nakedness and peril and sword and even death. But there is nothing that Satan will bring into my life that will keep me from loving my Savior any less. Did you know that that was the attitude of those living during the Dark Ages? I have a two-minute clip of lineage, and this is the story of Jerome Huss, uh, of Jerome and Huss. And they were burned at the stake. John Huss and Jerome, take a look at this. Again, the attitude that Paul has here of the, uh, of the church in Rome, that I don't care what Satan brings, I know that God's love never diminishes, I know he's for me, and Satan says, that there is nothing that Satan can bring into my life that's going to make me stop loving my Savior any less. I'm going to be loyal to him no matter what. This was the attitude of those living in the dark ages. Amen. Take a look at this. After Huss was delivered up to the secular authorities, he was asked 
one last time if he wanted to recant. What errors shall I renounce, he asked. I know myself guilty of none. He was brought to this very spot here in Constance and they burned him to death. They had to light the fire three times. They wanted to ensure his body was completely consumed. They dug up his ashes along with the soil under him and threw it into the Rhine River. About a year later, Jerome was also brought to this same spot. And as his executioner was standing behind him, Jerome said, apply the fire before my face. Had I been afraid, I should not been here. They died with heroic bearing. And a zealous papist commenting on the death of Huss and Jerome said these words. Both bore themselves with constant mind when their last hour approached. They prepared for the fire as if they were going to a marriage feast. They uttered no cry of pain. When the flames rose, they began to sing hymns and scarce could the vehemency of the fire stop their singing. Both these men lived their lives 100% for God so that when they died, as tragic as it was, they died with no regrets. If we live our lives today 100% for God, fully surrendered to Him, we also can live a life where we have no regrets. I now end with this. Did you know that this will be the attitude of God's last day, people? Because the Bible says that there will be a time where you can't buy and sell, a time where there's a death decree, a time where God's people will be persecuted for following his word, and we will go through. But guess what? You now know that God's love has not diminished one bit, and yet here's the thing. I don't care what Satan brings into my life. You will not get me from loving my Savior any less. Such a powerful thing that we see here from John Huss and Jerome. I actually was there in person, not when they were, not when they were burned. <laughs> but I went to that spot. My wife and I did. We were on a Reformation tour. And when you stand there in Constance, Germany, that big rock where that was filmed there. By the way, this is from Lineage. It's an amazing ministry by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Go on YouTube. Look up these little videos. They're so inspiring and fantastic. But listen, as my wife and I were there in the same area where that big rock is that commemorates John Huss and Jerome being burned alive there, and what you just saw, that they were singing hymns. They were just, hey, don't light that fire behind me. I'm here. Light it in front of my face. And when you stand there knowing how these people said, even unto death, we will stay true to my, our Savior. There's something there that inspires you. And God's last day people will have the same attitude. Friends, 
I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe you're in a moment where you are in distress and peril and having serious problems and are confused and not, I want to let you know today that you can leave here to know no matter what you're going through, God's love for you has not diminished one bit. He loves you just as strong. He loves you just as strong. Can you say amen? But know this. Will you settle it in your hearts that you can let the enemy know that it doesn't matter what you bring. You might bring persecution. You might bring famine. You might bring nakedness. You might bring peril. You might even bring death. But I want to let the enemy know there is nothing you can bring into my life that will keep me from loving my Savior any less. Does anybody here want to have that kind of walk with Jesus? Amen. Amen. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Nothing can. Thank you, God. If God is for us, who can be against us? He has shown to be for us. Therefore, nothing can be against us. And when this concept reaches the heart, you then let the world know that I will stand for Jesus no matter what comes. That was a right on time thunder. I want to have a Christian experience that no matter what Satan wants to bring, my allegiance to God does not waver one bit. And I don't care what he I have settled it in my heart that the enemy cannot bring anything into my life that will get me to waver in my allegiance to God and my love for him. Again, God's last day people will have this mindset and God will see you through and God will deliver his people. Can you say amen? Did this message make sense today? Be encouraged, saints. God is for you, not against you. Amen. This podcast is a service of the University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org, or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel, and on our website. Thank you for listening.